Thank you so much, Meg. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. Wow, what an honor just to be with you guys. Um, I wanted to tell you guys how this thing came to be. About eight years ago, uh, we had a conference here in the previous building, and we had a pastor come in, and he was preaching and prophesying, and he was somebody that I knew. And so I was like, okay, you know, this guy is pretty authentic, and he had an altar time for, for leaders to come on up and get prayed for. And so... You know, uh, I responded, Issei responded, this was before we were married, and we were just at the altar getting prayed for, uh, and the pastor that was praying over us was like, man, I see you writing books, and you do, seeing you doing this, and I'm, to me, I was like, I don't know, that's not really me, um, you know, some of y'all don't know my story, but I, I got held back in the first grade, like, you know, English is my second language, so, you know, one of those things, I just couldn't see myself doing that, I was like, okay, maybe... Issei and I gets married, Issei will do it. And, you know, it was, I was thinking to myself, like, there's no way, um, you know, I had trouble re- I didn't finish my first book until after I got saved. Uh, struggled with a little bit of dyslexia almost to where it became a hard thing. And so when he was prophesying this over me, I was just like, there's just no way that that's going to happen. That's just not who I am. And eight years later, um, I published my first book about a few months ago. So... Um, it's a testimony of what the Holy Spirit can do. Uh, it's called Unleashed, Freedom from Your Past, Permission for Your Future. And it is, it's essentially a book on discipleship and how can I get past who I was. So I talk a lot about my failures, my issues, my mistakes, not just before Christ, after Christ. You know what I'm saying? You're still getting sanctified, uh, issues in ministry. And, and so how do I get past that? And how do I receive godly, fatherly permission to grab a hold of who God has called me to be? All the things he has planned for me. And so uh, I pray that it blesses you. I pray that you pick it up. Uh, and, and some of the things that I talk about this conference will come out of that book because gonna, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so, so that's my little pitch. Bless you guys. Awesome. We'll get there. Okay, so what we're going to do for the sake of time, and, and you guys are good, right? Okay, I usually preach two hours, but for you guys, I will make it shorter now. Um, I I pastor at an American church, you know, 20 minutes is what we do. (laughs) Um, No, so so we'll just kind of allow the Holy Spirit to kind of lead us, because what I want to talk about tonight, and and what I loved even about the worship and, and the time of worship that we have is just allowing ourselves to just wait on God, wait on the Holy Spirit. You know, this weekend, we're going to be talking on the Holy Spirit. The, the theme is devoted. How do I live a life devoted, focused, and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit? And what I want to take tonight to do is really start off with a bang, talking about Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, because Jesus told them something pretty important when he left, right? Like, imagine Jesus is leaving, and this is what he says to them on his way out, Acts chapter 1, 4 to 5, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for truly, 
John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And verse 8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this opportunity to minister your gospel and your truth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just step ahead of us. And Lord, help us to step back and to watch you work, that you flow through this room as a spirit of many waters, that you speak, God, a word for every single person that has an ear to hear. Have your way, God. Use this service to transform lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. He said, wait, don't go anywhere. Listen, um, disciples, people, my followers, wait, don't do anything until you receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is a heavy ask. That, that you just don't go ahead and try to do this thing on your own. You know, one of the mistakes we make in Christianity is um, we introduce people to portions of God and Christ. It's almost a curse to grow up as a Christian. Now, I know this is a joint service. I know we have a lot of kids in here and youth and young adults. But, but let, me, let me tell you something. It, it works against us. It's almost like getting the flu shot. You know what happens when you get the flu shot, right? What they do is they put a little bit of the flu virus into you and your body builds an immunity to the flu. So you get the flu shot, you have an immunity to the flu. And so when the flu actually comes, it can't affect you. What happens when we've introduced Christ too early and what's happened in Christianity and when we try to do things without the power of the Holy Spirit is we get this Christian flu shot where we get a little bit of Jesus, we get a little bit of the Holy Spirit, and, and we get a little bit of God, we get a little bit of religion, and that is what we have inside. So when the real thing comes, our bodies have become immune to it. Our life has become immune to it. So we live a Christianity that is not contagious, that doesn't make a difference, that nobody notices. That's the kind of Christianity we expose people to when we try to do it without what Jesus said here. He says, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit because if you try to do this thing on your own, you're gonna fail. You're gonna fail utterly. This is what he says, wait for the promise because when you receive the promise, you will receive power from on high. Power. The weight of the Holy Spirit is power from on high. Just wait. So what I love about services like this and when we get to just worship and sing is we get to rest and wait on the, on the Holy Spirit to fill our life so that we can receive power. I got to ask you guys an honest question. Do you feel powerful today? See, the Holy Spirit makes us so powerful that we count our lives as of nothing. These people were fed to lions. They were hung upside down. Every disciple was martyred. Only one of them died of old age. The life of a disciple that is full of the Holy Spirit is one that is described by the attribute of power. And so I have to ask you as a believer in Jesus Christ, do you feel powerful? But the disciples that Jesus is talking to walked into cities and their shadow literally healed the sick. The Bible says that they turned the world upside down, that they healed diseases, that they cast out devils. 
that they gave their life completely devoted to a single cause. That is the power of the Holy Spirit when you receive him, when you're baptized by him. So he says, wait. The promise is for an appointed time. You see the Azusa Street Revival. Anybody have, have you ever heard of the Azusa Street Revival? If you're in here, let me just see a hand. Azusa Street Revival, one of the largest revivals that began the Pentecostal movement in 1908, uh, an African-American man by the name of William J. Seymour. Uh, holy preacher. Time of Jim Crow segregation. He's in Houston. He is wanting to um, learn about the Holy Spirit. And, and at that time, there is no speaking in tongues, moving of the None of that happens. It's just morality, holy preaching. But he's reading Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, and he's like, wait a minute, something over here doesn't make sense. I'm seeing this happen, and it's not happening in my life. And he begins this journey to search it out. And because of Jim Crow, he can't even enter into the Bible college, so he sits outside of the Bible college and listens into the ministers. That's how devoted he was to hearing about it. He's invited to preach in California in a little house on Azusa Street. And they begin to fast and pray and wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Fast and pray, fast and pray. All they're doing is reading the scripture, certain the scripture, and they're saying, God, we just want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, this is what it says. You guys still with me? Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. William J. Seymour is reading this scripture, praying on it. And this is what it says. Even in Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. You see, when it comes to revival, there are some things we cannot control. When the day had fully come, when God was prepared to send revival in the life of the disciples, they had to wait on God. But it also says they were all in one place, in one accord, waiting. You see, there's a part of the outpouring of God's spirit that we can control, which is our preparation, which is us waiting, praying, anticipating. And this is what William J. Seymour does. He literally comes in every day, preaches on the Holy Spirit, preaches on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, preaches on the, he, he has no idea what's going to happen. He's, it's never happened before. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And he's just waiting, he's praying, and eventually, not him, one of his friends receives the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because it was the Lord's appointed time. And then another and then finally, William J. Seymour. The Azusa Street Revival goes on for months, if not years. P. 
People come from all over the world to see what God is doing on Azusa Street. People come in as critics to talk negatively about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Azusa Street. Reporters say that while they were in their hotel, that they would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and begin to speak into People were getting healed left and right. It grew so much that the floor fell down because there wasn't enough room to contain all the people because one person decided that they were going to wait on God and they were going to wait to receive power. Power. They didn't know what it was going to look like. You see, another thing that we do is we begin to put God in a box because we assume when the Holy Spirit is going to come and fill our life, it's going to look one way or another. We use our expectations and experiences and what we have heard, and those become the litmus test to whether we have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit or not. But that's not what God says. He says, you will receive power to be my witnesses, to be a witness, to live a life of witness. Real story, this really happened, okay? Um, pastor Indishal from uh, Dallas, or from Denver, the, the pastor at the Denver church, told me a story that when he first got saved in Ethiopia, um, they were just reading the Bible and they didn't know um, what to do to baptize. And so they read the story of Jesus being baptized, and they thought that's how baptism was supposed to look. And so they were, they were doing this baptism, but for them, they were just going through like Jesus' baptism. So essentially, they went into the water, they baptized the person, and they stood there and they waited until the dove came. I'm not kidding you. They just never seen it before. <laughs> so they were waiting out there for hours for the duff to descend to say, okay, God has to, you know what I'm saying, show up and say, hey, this is my beloved son and whom I, because for them, they're just reading the scripture and they're saying, okay, this is what it's supposed to look like. It's so funny how our experiences shape our expectation of God and how we wait on God and the permission we receive from him. But in Acts chapter 2, as they're waiting and praying, and, and this is what I want to encourage you guys tonight. As we go through this, I want to encourage you to take the limits off how you expect God to move. It's important that we get Jesus out of our culture. Uh-oh. I said it. It's important that we get Jesus out of our culture and back into the kingdom of God. Because God is not limited by our culture. God is outside of it. He's above it. We have to get God out of the box of our expectations. We got to get God out of the box of our experiences saying, okay, God has only done it like this. And because he's only done it like this, he can't do it any other way. That's not God. We got to remove God out of that because imagine what these disciples are waiting for. They've been waiting 50 days for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. The only thing they know about the Holy Spirit is that he's a comforter. He's an advocate. He's just like Jesus. He's a spirit. So, so they have no idea. I mean, another dude could have walked in the room and said, hey, I'm Holy Spirit. And they were like, oh, okay. That, you know, what, what, what do they know what to expect? And so part of waiting on God to receive him is removing our expectations of what he's going to look like when he shows up. Because imagine the Pharisees that missed Jesus because they thought they knew what he would look like when he arrived. 
the religious leaders and the the Sadducees and the Pharisees who missed Jesus, that walked right past him because they thought the Messiah was supposed to look one way and he looked completely different. And so tonight as we're talking about the Holy Spirit, I want you to take the limits off. I want you to take the box off of what God could do in you, in your city, in your generation, how he can move and work and transform you and use you. Let me tell you this. Jesus never healed anyone with his shadow. You know that? If, if, if Peter was like us, he would say, well, Jesus never did it, so I can't do it. But Jesus said something to his disciples. He says, greater things will you do than I. You know what Peter never did? Paul prayed over a handkerchief, and he sent it over to cities, and that handkerchief healed people. Peter never did that. Jesus never did that. There's something about removing the limits of our expectations of how Holy Spirit can work, where he takes what one generation has done and he expands it to the next generation and he gives them permission to say, you could do it in your way as long as it is power to be a witness. Because that's what he brings. He says, wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit so that you can be my witnesses. Are you guys still with me? Amen. All right, so Acts chapter 2, what we see is as they are waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit, something happens to them. Tongues of fire come and fall on each one of them. Fire is described throughout the Bible in different ways. And I believe when the Holy Spirit comes on us, he comes on us like a fire. And there's a few fires that I want to use to describe what the Holy Spirit does in our life because we're waiting on God, we're sitting here, we're taking the limits off of what God can do, but what does God usually do, okay? In in Malachi chapter 3 verse 2, let's just turn there. Because the Holy Spirit comes like a fire and it rests on every single one of them. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 2, It says, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears for he will be like a refiner's fire or a lounger's soap. He will set as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. Let me tell you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he comes as a refining fire first. You cannot manufacture holiness apart from the Holy Spirit. You cannot produce it on your own ability. The Holy Spirit, when he comes on you, the first fire that you experience is one of a refining nature. It's one that makes our, t- our life tougher, not easier. It's one that makes us say, ah, I got to give this up. When the Holy Spirit begins to move in your life, things begin to flow and work in a way that you just don't expect and are not ready and are not always prepared to receive, but he comes to purify you. And life gets harder. It doesn't get easier. Sometimes people think coming to Christianity, coming to Jesus is as if, oh, everything's going to get easier for me. I'm going to live my best life now. But to be honest, when the Holy Spirit arrives, life does not get easier. It gets harder. It gets harder on the believer. We gotta give things up. We gotta sell stuff. We gotta gotta obey him. We can't be in places where, and all of a sudden, God begins to refine you in ways you didn't expect. He puts you 
through the fire. You see, when you have an anointing and a call on your life, it means there's going to be some great heat that you're going to have to walk through. The Bible talks about a pressing in your life, a suffering in your life that produces the best in you because what God wants to use is something that's so pure and so refined and so useful to him. I read a story about a woman who wanted to understand the refining process. So she found a local silversmith and uh, she asked him about the process of refining silver. So this is what she began to ask. She said, you know, what does the process look like when you refine silver? And he said, you know, I take a piece that I'm going to work on and I put it on my tongue and I put it in the middle of the fire, in, in, in the center where it's the hottest and I leave it there. And she says, well, how, how do you know when it's finished? You know, how long do you leave it there? Uh, do you, you know, what, what happens to it if you leave it in there too long, if you take it out too early? And so what he told her was, you know, I'm constantly watching the piece that's in the fire. I'm holding on to it tight. If I leave it in there too long, it's going to be ruined. If I don't leave it in there long enough, it's not going to be moldable. So she said, well, how do you know when it's time to take it out. The silversmith said this, listen to this. He says, I take out the piece of silver when I can see my reflection in it. Somebody got that. Let me tell you, when God has you in the fire, he only has you in there long enough until he can see his reflection in you. That's the only reason God has you there, to mold you and shape you. Let me tell you, there's a refining process that you're going to have to go through. But if you're in the fire right now, let me tell you something. It's not that God doesn't love you. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. God is holding on tightly to you, so closely to you. But if he's going to see the best in you, he's got to hold you in there long enough. You know it's him when you're going through the fire and you're not burned. This is what Paul says. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 4.8, he says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. God wants to see his reflection in you. And sometimes he's got to put you in pressure moments. He's got to squeeze so what is coming out of you is only him. As Stephen is getting stoned, he quotes Jesus on the cross. He says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And God stands up from his throne. I mean, imagine that that Stephen is so reflective of Jesus in the moment of his greatest suffering that God stood up and gave him an applause to say, that's my son, and he looks just like me. If you're going through the fire, because some of us, we want the Holy Spirit, man. I'm telling you, man, we want God to move in our generation in a certain ways, and we want what the disciples had, but we don't want to endure what the disciples endured. We don't want to go through the process of the cross, the part of suffering and loneliness and isolation and rejection. We don't, we don't want that. But if we're going to ask to receive what the disciples inherited, we got to be willing to go through the path that they went. 
Because when you go through the refiner's fire, I mean, you come out on the other side and God changes your affections. He, you don't want to be an adulterer anymore. You don't want to be a liar anymore. You don't want to be a cheater anymore. All you want to do is be a, a light on fire for God, a burning torch, a light on fire, a light on top of a hill that says this is all I want is him and only him. The first fire that you receive is refining. Because you can't manufacture holiness apart from the Holy Spirit. Second thing, he ignites a fire. He ignites a passion in you. It's like, it's like when you're doing a barbecue and, and all of a sudden you put all that, you know, accelerator on there. It's like you're soaking, you're waiting on God, you're waiting on God, and here comes the fire to set you ablaze. That's what he does. He ignites a passion and a fire. Let's go to uh, Songs of Solomon, chapter 8. If you don't know where Songs of Solomon is, that's the rated R section of the Bible. That's the part uh, your parents don't tell you about. Probably haven't read through it. Mm -hmm. Yep, I know what you'd be skipping over. Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. This is what he says. He says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death and jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are a flames of fire. You see, there's an intimacy that comes and a passion that comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a sense of knowing him so personally and so intimately, it ignites this passion and this love to be close to where you want him. Let me tell you, in a generation and in a culture that is so anti-God, it's so anti, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I'm talking about there's temptation on every corner. I mean, the, 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 the world and the culture uses sex to sell cereal. You know what I'm saying? Like everywhere that you look, Disney Channel, Cartoon Network, MTV, ESPN, all of culture is getting you to keep your eyes on him. And so it only is the Holy Spirit that gets our hearts so engaged on God to where we can say, I don't want this thing anymore. This doesn't matter to me anymore. And I fall in love with Jesus. I gotta fall in love with him. But I don't know him. I've I've never, I haven't walked with Jesus, right? Like, I, I haven't done those things with him. I've never met him. I'm so, you know, like, without the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, we don't know him. All it is is religious activity and bravado and, 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 and just you tell me I'm supposed to do this and I'll do that. And so much of my Christian life, guys, let me tell you, is filled with religion before I came to know the Holy Spirit because I didn't know him. There was no passion. There was no love. There was no intimacy. There was no burden. It was, just, it was just, I don't want to go to hell, right? Hey, you telling me Jesus is the way to heaven? I don't want to go to hell. I'll do it. Whatever. I got to go to church. I'll do it. You want me to pray? But that kind of relationship with God does not last. For me, I had to fall in love with Jesus so that I began to love what he loved and to hate what he hates, 
Because until I love him and the fire and this passion and this intimacy rose up in my life, everything else was robotic and mechanical and a machine and it was so distant. You don't give your life for mechanical religion. You give your life for people that you love, for people that you know for people that you believe in. And for me to fall in love with Jesus, it took the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and this fire sits on you, not only does it refine you and make you pure as gold, it develops an intimacy with God that you would have never had without him. We need the Holy Spirit to fall in love with Jesus. We need it. You see, worship music has changed over the years. Um, what I love, oh my gosh, I cannot wait for Sunday for Pastor Danny to release his new album because I love Pastor Danny's worship. Do you guys agree with me? Listen, I don't even speak Amharic, <laughs> but it is my go-to in my devotional and prayer time, especially sermon prep, because it doesn't make me sing along because I don't understand what it's saying, so I can just kind of pray in tongues. I mean, it is my go-to. But, but, but with Amarinya Muzmur, we understand something. There is a depth to the worship, right? Like there is a sense of feeling that you feel, because I've had people translate it to me, and they, they, they're saying, man, this is, this is like the suffering that the people have experienced, and it's put out into the music. With American worship music, it's changed over the years because over the last maybe 50, 60 years ago, the hymns that they wrote was about theology. It was teaching people theology through music because a lot of people didn't read, as Pastor Neb was just telling us. Some people still don't read um, their Bibles. And so the best way to teach people theology was just to put it in the music and they could sing it. But something shifted about 20 years ago Hillsong showed up and all of a sudden, passion, intimacy, God, I'm waiting on you. God, I love you. I'm going to sing my hallelujah. I'm going to worship you. All of a sudden, the music shifted because they started to sense that this is a love song to the God that I love. It's not a religious activity I'm just doing anymore. The Holy Spirit ignites a passion in us that we cannot have without him. And the third thing, guys, I'm going to close soon. You guys still with me? You guys still making it? I know back home people preach for like two hours, so don't play me. <laughs> um, so the third thing is it inspires boldness. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29, it says, now the Lord, uh, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting began to, was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You know, something that happens when you uh, experience the fire of the Holy Spirit is you, you, you get this inspiration for boldness, and the disciples, they, they did something more. Not only were they bold, but they prayed for more boldness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because for them, they wanted to be um, disrespectful with how much they love Jesus, right? Like, they wanted to talk about Jesus all the time, at every place, everywhere, and that was their go-to. They were like, 
like we want to be so bold that we offend people with our, uh, our willingness to just talk about him and how much we love him. We just want to be bold. You guys know those people that every time you talk to them, they're just talking about Jesus? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't have a conversation. You're talking about basketball. Yeah, man, Jesus would have been better than the Golden State Warriors. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is better than Luka Doncic. You know what I'm saying? Like, everything, they, that's, that's how they were because their life inspired a sense of boldness. That's just who they were. This is what I want to talk about. This is my life has been devoted to this. Nothing else matters because my life is a drop in eternity and I have the cure for your eternity. Like, let me tell you, you may die in 60, 70, 80 years, but there is an illness that the human race carries, which is a separation from God. And nothing else matters to you and I than the fact that we cure the disease of separation from God. And if you want to have a relationship with God, Jesus has made a way. Like boldness to say there's nothing as important as your life with God. Nothing else matters. Things are good. Things are great. We can have a good time. But boldness tells me I have to talk about this all the time. This, my life is devoted. It's surrounded by this. And that was how the disciples lived their life, inspired to be bold. Something I learned from a pastor um, as we were eating, you know, Texas, you eat out a lot. You know, I've been here for a long time. This is one thing he does. He says, David, this keeps me on my toes. He says, every time I go to the restaurant and I'm about to pray for my food, I'll ask my waiter, can I pray for you about anything? And that gives me an opportunity to share my faith with them. Boldness. You see, sometimes we don't think it's appropriate to share because of cultural expectations. But people that are praying for opportunities to be bold are looking for ways to share their faith, and that is what the fire of the Holy Spirit does. Now, it never makes us bold enough. It takes cowards like Peter who ran away from girls telling him about him being a disciple of Jesus and makes them into conquerors, people that go into cities and nations and confess the love of Jesus over them. Some of us struggle to be bold about our faith, to share our faith. So we pray for boldness. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you go through a refining process, you go through a passion process, and you go through this boldness process. That's what happens when we wait on the Holy Spirit, when we wait on him. And this is, and I'm going to close with this. I'll have the worship team come on up, come on out, so we can, we can get this party uh, started here. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 said that there was these fires that were sitting on every single one of them. But it didn't just end with a fire. In Acts chapter 2, it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues. You know what I love about preaching? Uh, I love preaching on the Holy Spirit in charismatic churches 
because we can talk about tongues and I don't have to worry about offending anybody. <laughs> All right? It's awesome. Um, I, I've done some Mennonite churches and some Lutheran churches, and people are like, you talking about tongues, tongues? Like, the people talking different language? Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> because when this fire came upon them, something happened. It says that they began to speak in other tongues. Like, as they were filled, they began to speak in other tongues. Like, like that, that was an evidence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that they began to speak in other tongues. Evidence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, some people will debate you about it. But, but, the, but the scriptures is pretty clear, okay? I'm just going to read a few scriptures for you. In Acts chapter 19, 1 through 6, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So he said to them, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they had heard this, they were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us power, but it gives us power to be a witness. So we become this kind of power conductor, right? We get the power from the source and we supply it to the need. The power from the source to the need. We are the power conductor. We are not the source itself. We're supplying people that have a need because God gives us what? Power to be a witness. It's to bring edification. And in Acts chapter 2, the tongues that they spoke in were tongues of different languages. But that wasn't the only way that you speak in tongues. Because in 1 Corinthians 14, 2 to 4, it says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. What am I saying? We receive power from on high to be a witness. We are a power conductor. We take power from the source and supply it to the need. But what about when I'm the need? What happens when I'm weak in faith? What happens when I need healing emotionally, physically, mentally? What happens to me when I need God to show up for me? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, God has given us the gift of tongues so that you can edify yourself. You can prophesy to edify the church, but there is a gift, there is a cheat code, you know what I'm saying, placed into your Christian life so that you can receive 
power anytime that you need it, that, that you can have the fire of refining, of igniting passion and boldness anytime that you need it. And he says you do that because you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit through the speaking of tongues. He says when you do that, you edify yourself. You build up yourself. Listen to what it says here in Romans chapter 8, 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We don't even know how we ought to pray. But God has given us the groaning, the weaknesses. The Bible says weaknesses, is, it, it can be translated infirmities, sin, insecurity, whatever it is. God has given us something to deal with who we are with the power of the Holy Spirit. When we speak in tongues... I asked you guys a question at the beginning of this sermon. Do you feel powerful? Do you feel powerful? I asked that question because so many of us are living our Christian life with no power, but we don't pray in tongues. Paul said, man, I thank my God I pray in tongues more than all of you. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. Timothy spoke in tongues. Barnabas spoke in tongues. Every person named in the New Testament was someone who spoke in tongues. And I often ask people, why don't you? Christians that have the gift of tongues don't exercise the gift of tongues, but they never feel powerful. And I'm always surprised when God has given us his scripture that says, listen, I have given you a gift to edify you so that you can feel powerful because until your shadow is healing people, until you're turning the world upside down, until you're praying over handkerchiefs and sending it to different places, until you are taking people out of the grips of hell and populating heaven, we're not powerful enough and we need to exercise our gift. We need to exercise our gift. Some of us have been taught that some of these things don't exist anymore because they've been abused. Healing doesn't exist anymore. Tongues don't exist anymore because they've been abused. But let me tell you this. Those that operate in the gift the most are those that I have seen moving with the most power and anointing. I don't see people moving in prophecy that don't speak in tongues. I don't see people moving in healing that don't speak in tongues. We need to exercise our gift so that we can feel powerful. So as we get ready to close, I'm going to have a couple of altar calls. Number one, I want to deal with if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ. You see, most of the stuff that Jesus says through the Bible, he says to his disciples. So as I'm talking, and these things are going over your head, you've, you've completely missed it. Like, this thing doesn't even make sense to you. You're talking about Holy Spirit, fire, tongues. It doesn't make sense to you because it's been designed for those that are followers of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus... 
what Jesus is telling the people in the New Testament won't make sense to you. So that's the first thing we have to handle here as a church. So I want to do something. I just want us to bow our heads and close our eyes, and I want to ask you if your life is not right with Jesus today. If your life is not right with Jesus today. This whole thing could have been just for you. This whole service, this whole, this whole conference, this whole joint service, seeing people get baptized, it could have been just for you. If you have not committed and given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I just want to pray with you. If this is your very first time praying the prayer of salvation, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I just want to see you slip up your hand so we can pray for you. Just slip up your hand for me real quick so we can pray for you. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, amen, 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 amen. I'm happy that you guys all know the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. Because now I get to hold you accountable to the second thing. Do you feel powerful? How many of you in here do not speak in tongues? Never receive the gift of tongues in your life. If you're in here and you've never received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues, I just want to pray for you. Let me tell you this, man. When you pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Lord always delivers. He always delivers. If you're in here and you want to get prayed for to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, let's do this. I can't really see hands out there. So if that's you and you want prayer, can you just come up here to the front for me? I just want to lay hands on you and just pray for you. I'm going to have Pastor Neb join me as we do that. But if, if you just want to get prayed for, come on up. Yeah, don't be shy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We got some young soldiers in here. Come on now. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, can we give them a hand as they're coming up to get prayed for? Thank you. So this is what we're going to do. Now, I'm going to pray this prayer with you, and you guys, we're going to pray this out loud together. And it's important that you guys understand something. In Luke chapter 11, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says that a good father does not withhold good gifts. He says, which of you being good fathers, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? So when you ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you and to receive your prayer language, it is not a question whether God will send it or not. You will receive it today. 